94.1 KPF 89.3 KPFB 88.1 KSC of Fresno. Here comes another edition of Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Open Book, Poet to Poet. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. My guests today are prize-winning novelist, editor, creative writing teacher, and consultant Valerie Haynes Perry, and Estuary Press publisher, Paul Richards. The three of us will be in conversation about my book, Heartstrong, Selected Poems 2000 to 2012 that received the 2014 Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Award for Excellence in Literature, published by Estuary Press. Welcome writer-editor Valerie Haynes Perry. Thank you, Nina. It's my pleasure to be here. Welcome Estuary Press publisher Paul Richards to our KPFA Airwaves. Thank you, Nina. I'm glad to be here. Valerie, since you did the proofreading of Heartstrong and contributed greatly to the process, I know you have a lot to say about it. I do. First of all, Nina and Paul, congratulations on receiving that prestigious award, and I'm so grateful to have been some small part of the process. And as I've looked forward to our being here right now, and when I think about this wonderful project, Heart Sweet, what a labor of love it is. So could you tell us a bit about the process that you went through to create Heart Suite. For example, did you envision it as a trilogy from the very beginning? Did it evolve into a trilogy along the way? And for those of you who are yet to experience this wonderful collection, it contains Nina's original artwork. So if you could also tell us how the artwork integrates into the series as well, please. I'll start with, did I have the concept of Heart Sweet, that is a trilogy? No, I began in 1969 when I began writing poetry, and right then, even though that's where the first poems from the first book, Heart Songs, are, I had no concept of writing a book of poems. I just had to write these poems as things happened, as I felt things, I wrote them. And I was always part of movements that were doing outreach and fundraising, and the front line was our poetry readings, which is how we would collect money and public consciousness and awareness of our various causes, beginning with the organizing of the Mission District, which was the Los Siete de la Raza movement. We were freeing seven young Salvadorans that had been accused of murdering a policeman, one of the first mobilizations of the Mission District. So I was just writing them for these readings and writing them just because I had to write them. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and write them. But as part of a Latino writing collective, writing and publishing collective, Editorial Pochoche, we, after about 10 years of doing this, we went for grants, and we got a grant to put out three books, and mine was one of the three books that we decided to put out in 1980. So then I had to sit down and collect all the poems that I'd been writing since 1969, with no concept of a book at all, and I don't know how heart songs came to me, but I think that I always knew that that's where my poems came from, and I also thought of them as songs. So that's how Heart Songs came to be. And then I went along with just Heart Songs, that one book of my collected works, until one day, relatively recently, Paul said he wanted to publish my works. So he said, what would what would you put in it and what would you call it? And then I heard myself say, as if I were another person, I said, 
Oh, it would be called Heart Sweet. It would be a trilogy, and it would have two more books in it. One would be Heart's Journey that would go from 1980 to 1999, and then Heart Strong that would go from 2000 to now, 2012. He acted like I had said something perfectly sensible, so I assumed I had. (laughs) So that's how the idea of the trilogy came. And then the artwork, I never, never considered putting my artwork into these two new books. I did have one piece of black and white brush painting in the first book, Heart Songs. But then the other artwork in it was by my friend, the Chilean artist, Rene Castro, who is a really fine artist. And I've always just considered my artwork was like my poems, just things that I just had to doodle or draw. Not that I knew how, not that I had been trained. And when I handed Paul poems, some of them were still inside the old notebooks that I'd originally written them in. And they were full of these drawings. So Paul insisted that these drawings be in the book. And I'm afraid I acted very badly. I said, oh, no, no, these are terrible. They can't be in the book. They're not good enough. And we had many, many conversations until he finally convinced me that, yes, my drawings had to be in the book with the poems. Nina, as I listen to you so intently, the thing that's kind of standing out is when you told us that Paul asked you how you felt about writing this trilogy, and you said, I heard myself saying to myself, or I heard myself answering myself, and for some reason that stands out as such an integral part of the process of creating the work. So when you're creating poems, do you have that sense of standing outside of yourself, and is that kind of how you experience your poetry? Is this being outside of yourself, and then when you add the whole element of integrating your artwork, but just as far as your personal process? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'll try. I think in both drawing and in writing, there's always that element of surprising myself, Hmm. like there was when I heard my answer, Hmm. that when I finish the picture or when I finish the poem, when I get that last line, the last line is usually the surprise for me where I go, oh, that's what I was trying to say. Oh, that's what I was feeling. So it's something Hmm. about self-discovery going through the process as you said about process, putting myself through the process, when I come out at the end, there's the reward that I just understand me, this mysterious being that I've been living with for 80 years, Mm. and it's still the same mystery. Hmm. You'd think I'd get to know me better. Hmm. I just want to clarify why I chose to refer to your last lines as critical focus. This, I think, is a good way to talk about Paul Richards. And then again, I keep coming back to this being such a labor of love. Paul Richards, not only is he Nina's publisher, the publisher of Estuary Press, and also Nina's husband, Paul is also the author of a wonderful book that I happen to be reading right now called Critical Focus, which is an extraordinary piece of photojournalism. In fact, if I can just get a little bit ahead of myself, I'm seeing this one photograph in the book right now of these children, farm workers' children, and how they just express so much joy that can be such a universal experience that we can get from children, yet they're clearly exploited by being forced to work in these fields. So I just wanted to use that as a, as a way to open up 
up your work as a publisher of Estuary Press, Paul, and also your focus on producing ebooks at this point. Well, thanks. My interest in ebooks began as the internet grew and bookstores fell apart and the barriers to traditional publishing became more and more evident to me. And so I'd used computers for many years and I knew that that's where the process was. So I asked myself if I could put Nina's books in both e-book form and print form using my own computers and using the internet line that comes into our house. And that was the project that I embarked upon when I started with Nina's books. Your involvement with Critical Focus right now is a part of finally getting Critical Focus to become an e-book. And I do want to mention that Critical Focus is the black and white photography of Harvey Richards, who's my father. And it, it's been a part of Estuary Press since 1986. And I've licensed it in many films and books and magazines and so on. So, And the main business of Estuary Press is the archiving and licensing of his work. So when I started with Nina's works, I branched out into a new endeavor. And the the process was it was quite an adventure. It started with Heart Songs, which we had a physical book for that was published by Editorial Pochoche back in 1980. So I used that as a sort of a template to design the ebook. And I went into it using Adobe software, which was quite a challenge, very difficult, and ultimately very unsuccessful. I managed to get that book out, and once it was available as an ebook, I turned to Hart's journey. And there we had no physical book, so I had to figure out how to produce the physical book as well as the ebook. And my approach to designing ebooks is that I use the physical book as a template for it. But when you make an ebook, it never looks like and could not possibly ever look like a printed book because ebooks don't have pages, which is slightly misleading because anytime you look at an ebook on a device, whether it's at your computer or tablet or your phone, you're seeing a page. It's just that the software and the approach towards ebooks is that the page size and fonts are flexible. So this presents a serious problem when it comes to producing a poetry ebook because the poet writes in set lines that they intend to be seen. So if the software changes those lines, it changes the poem. And that is the biggest challenge in bringing poetry to ebooks. And it's one that, well, many poets and publishers have taken the attitude that they want to use fixed layout books in order to prevent people from changing the, the page so that this issue doesn't arise. When you say this issue, you're talking about the issue of line breaks in a of, poem. Of line breaks and page breaks. So line breaks will be messed up by EPUB with this uh, variable font and page size. And if you do a, a fixed layout book, it prevents people from changing those things. But the problem with the fixed layout book is that they, they don't work so well on a lot of devices. If you design one for Apple, it might not work on Kindle. It might not work on Samsung. It might not work on whatever different kind of devices you have. So the result of that is that you begin to de design a book for a particular device. And then you have something which, you know, the company may go out of business and you have nothing. <laughs> so the question is, is, do you want to jump into that mess or how you approach it. So the way we approached it was to to basically appeal to the reader to cooperate in this because mm -hmm. uh, we put a note in the books that says if you want to see what the poet intended, reduce the size of the font until the word wrapping stops and then you will see the, the poem as the poet laid it out. 
And of course, why else would you read a poem unless you wanted to understand what the poet uh, had intended? So I thought that this would allow the poem to be laid out in an EPUB format, which on a bigger page would show the poet's line breaks, and on a smaller page would not, and then the reader could adjust the size of the font in the page until they could see it. Now, they might not be able to read the words, but they could see the intent, then make it bigger and get it. So, you know, this is a process that people who have e-readers generally understand, and those who don't, it's pretty easy to figure it out. So that's how we approach uh, bringing poetry to e-books. You know, this is such a fascinating thing to know about because the two things that came to mind as I was listening all were a notion of relative freedom in the sense that with publish with self-publishing, so anybody can publish anything they want within reason, don't have to ask publishers for permission, but then you have these restrictions that you have to deal with so that there's a freedom on on the one hand, there are these restrictions. And the thing that I love about asking readers to adjust the line breaks so that they can see what the poet's intention was, that makes it interactive, you know? And I think that's absolutely brilliant. Well, thank you. There's one other thing that we did as well. Ebooks offer some aspects or capabilities that print books do not. And one of the things that drives publishers to try to create different types of layouts like the fixed layout and, and other things that have like apps, which are computer applications that people download in their computers and they're sort of standalone software that includes the book and it, in, it can also include movies and music and all sorts of things, but it's no longer a book. So what we've tried to do was to say to ourselves, well, the, the thing that makes a book last for 500 years is that when people read the book, they have their own imagination of what the book is about. So we try not to interrupt that process, not to substitute a video or a musical piece that would substitute our vision for their vision to leave their vision alone, and then to ask ourselves, what could we do to give the reader some options that they could either take or not take, but that would not interrupt their reading? So the answer we came up with was hyperlinks. And hyperlinks are words in an ebook or on the computer screen that you click on, and they take you to another spot in the Internet. So what we did in Nina's poem that she wrote at the time of the assassination of Harvey Milk and Mayor Moscone, we put notes, we put hyperlinks in that that would take people to websites that tell about that. Because a lot of young people might not even know about that. And certainly people in other towns might not know about that. So it's just a way of saying, here's a way to explore this deep, more deeply. If you don't get it, this will take you somewhere. And it generally is an opening for them to explore way beyond our links. And then, of course, if you know all about it and you're not interested, you go on to the next poem and it doesn't bother you. You know, bringing hyperlinks to ebooks as a technique for bringing the capacities of the Internet into the reading process and still not destroying the reader's own imagination and own thought processes about it. That was our attempt, and that's what we did in, in all three books, because after using Adobe software on Hart's song and then turning to a new program called Juto, which was an English program, much cheaper, much easier to use, completely as easy as Adobe is difficult. I remade Heart Songs and put some links in there, put links in Heart's Journey and in Heart Strong, so that all the books have Nina's and my suggestions about places for further exploration. What Paul was just saying about relying on the reader to make choices about hyperlinks rather than interrupting their own creative process and experiencing the work, I just think there should be such a demand for that approach, again, because 
because of the attention that interactivity is getting and the value of interactivity. And something I've been running across lately is I'm finding that this whole notion of user interface, which initially was to make things easier for the user, I'm finding it's feeling like developers are making things easier for themselves rather than the users. So I feel tremendous value in the way you're approaching this hyperlink. Everything that you're talking about, just always really thinking of maximizing the experience of the reader. I think that's a sensible and valuable way to approach developing ebooks. And of course, we all have to wonder what it's like for the two of you to collaborate as husband and wife, as publisher and author, in any way you wish to express that. I'm sure everyone would be really interested to know. Well, first, I'm very, 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 very deeply grateful to Paul for this. And I feel like I really made it difficult for him and behaved badly through most of it because I felt like he was persecuting me to want me to make choices about drawings that I felt were not good, be public. I just really fought him on it. And yet I respect him so much that I felt, well, if Paul is reassuring me that these are good and this is worthwhile, and that they inform the poems, it, it must be right. So I went through a lot of struggle around that. And, and I don't think I always behaved as lovingly and maturely and gracefully as I like to think I would. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul was, he was always very, very patient. And Paul, what, is, what was it like for you to publish? Well, it was, uh, <laughs> it was completely wonderful. It was the most exhilarating process oh. that I can remember in my life for many, many years. And oh. Nina's cooperation was absolutely fine. The difficulties she had were minor. Finally, I got her daughter and granddaughter to pile up on her, and that took care of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, no, it was really an amazing process. Just first, just hearing Heart Sweet pop out of her when I asked her, what did she call the whole series? It was a perfect name. I just was wowed. I, I thought it was a wonderful name. And then as soon as we decided to go, 200 poems came up out of her file cabinets and computer and piled up on my desk. And, you know, we've been together 38 years and we've been in separate worlds, basically. I was working, getting up early, going out the house. She was doing her radio and her poetry and, and teaching and teaching and political activities and all of this. And I basically learned tremendous amounts about the processes she had gone through by reading all of these poems and putting them together in books and organizing them in sections and talking about what the sections were and what they meant. So I learned a tremendous amount about that. But even beyond that, it was it was like, for me, a chance to pay Nina back because when we first met, I was writing a Ph.D. dissertation and Nina helped me in that process. She pulled out her magic wand and broke through every barrier, helped me break through every barrier I set up for myself against doing it. And I completed it. And then, of course, I went into construction for 30 years and didn't use the degree, which was just, you know, fate in my life. But I never forgot that. And then when the time came for me to retire from construction and I took up publishing, it was a chance to basically repay this debt that I feel. And it was a marvelous process. And it's now continuing in a lot of the work we do, both in terms of videoing, in terms of publishing, in terms of the websites that we've created. And it really makes every day an adventure. So I'm I'm very thrilled the way we've come through all of it. Well, aren't we all, Paul? You know, I had the opportunity to say a few words at my uh, niece's wedding earlier this year. And I started off by saying there are moments of certainty and clarity in our lives 
lives. And I have to say, this feels like one of them also. I just am so grateful the four of us are here in this room together. Nina, Paul, my husband Fred is here, and I'm here. And it's just such a, a truly precious moment. And I can't think of a better way to improve it than for Nina to read a poem to us. Oh, well, this poem is called Autumn. Autumn flames into being so quietly that it feels like summer. With just a yellow streak on the tall stalks, the trees thinning so slightly. You want to hold on to summer, its fruits and flowery lushness. But there's that force again, so much greater than what you want, what you wish, what you crave. Bigger than how you think things should be, or the way they could be, if only what you wish, what you want, what you crave, had the power of gravity, the voice of thunder, the flash of lightning for catching attention. You can't paste a fallen leaf back on a branch. It doesn't work, nor personal magnetism. The seasons move on, changing conditions you just have to cope with as best you can, mobilizing energy and movement with stillness. Sunsets move slowly across the sky. Sunrise awakens new birds as geese in formation change direction, honking farewell in their flight. And you stay rooted in this ground looking around to see what's to come. Thank you, Nina. Just in listening to the poem, I'm reminded of how we each create our work. We have certain things in mind as we create the work, and then we share it with an audience. And we can never fully imagine it, how every person who reads our work will be affected by it, what will stand out, what will resonate for whatever reason. But it was so wonderful when you and I talked about the poem a little bit before doing the show today, Nina. And the line that it's such a perfectly balanced piece of work, but the one that just stayed with me in particular was mobilizing energy and movement into stillness or something to that effect with Sorry. stillness mobilizing energy and movement with stillness thank you i just love the sense of balance that comes from the contradiction because on the one hand we have the energy and the movement yet we have this resulting stillness and that is just so comforting and beautiful and peaceful to me and then you were sharing with me that as you said before it was the last line that was your critical focus if i may in the poem so i just love that we, we could read this poem people could call in and probably everybody would choose each line of the poem is there, the one that resonated. And I just love that quality of your work, Nina. And Thank yeah, you. You're welcome. And now that we know the process that you and Paul went through to produce the three volumes of Heart Suite, if you can tell us now, just in retrospect, or now that you can stand back, now that the work is completed, whether you could either characterize each book in a certain way, whether it be thematically or in any way that might appear to you now that you have some distance from producing the work? Well, 
I think it's the same for putting together any book of poetry. Uh, with the first book, I was scared to death. I had all these poems. I didn't know how you make a poetry book or how to put them into a poetry book. And so I stalled and stalled and got more scared and scared by the deadline. And then one day, this wonderful poet, Raul Salinas, came into town, who was also part of our Editorial Pochoche group. And he said, oh, no, this is no problem. Just sit down. And so we sat down on my living room floor and in those days I could still sit on the floor and still get up <laughs> and we had all the paper surrounding us and he said now we're going to read each poem and you decide what the theme of that poem is and we'll put it in the, in a pile and then as we come to the different themes we'll have a bunch of piles and those will be the different segments so Raul was bless his soul and may he rest in peace he was so right because that's what I had to do for these next two and I involved Paul in helping me through the process and and that was the process and then I began to see that really I just I'm into the same themes over and over and over it's just the size of the book that makes for more themes though I think in the last two volumes there's more environmental and nature poems. And in your experience, Paul, as the publisher, as you've read through Nina's manuscripts, do you ever find yourself getting caught up in the verse, or are you so focused on your role as the publisher that you're able to just think, okay, let me make sure I keep the line breaks some more? let me say, mechanical aspects and artistic aspects in doing the layout, do you find yourself getting caught up in the beauty of the poetry or do you just say, okay, it's time to lay out the book, I'm going to lay out the book. Oh, let me read a poem and enjoy the poem. I just, it's another process question, I guess, is whether you find yourself getting caught up in the poetry as you... Oh, definitely, I got caught up in the poetry. It's wonderful poetry, and I had witnessed so many of those years together with Nina that it, it just like I said, it opened up a lot of her life that I had been too busy hammer and nails to witness. So it was, it was really through reading and understanding the poems that the book took shape in my mind as a publisher, because mm -hmm. the meaning of the poems in her life, both the political and cultural milieu that we lived in, mm -hmm. came out. And so grouping those things and trying to deliver that meaning in the way the book set up was, was the process itself. That was the heart of the process. And that's where the, the drawings came in, because they came out of the same moments. Mm -hmm. And that's where they synchronized. The poems and the drawings synchronized through that common expression of that time. I would say Paul also helped me with the poems, that as we'd go over the poems and be editing the book, he'd catch me when I was being sloppy, mm -hmm. when I wasn't being precise. Right. And uh, he'd ask me questions about it, and I'd wind up having to rewrite certain sections because they weren't they weren't clear enough. And I'm into accessibility. I, I don't like poems that only mean something to the poet. I feel like they have to means something to the reader as well. So they have to be clear. Well, this this was an ongoing part of the process was clarifying is one thing, but the temptation to revise something 20 years or 30 years after it was written was one that we had to come to grips with. And we basically decided that we wouldn't rewrite these things too much. A little bit here or there just to make them a complete statement as they were then was the idea, but not to update them. So they remained true to the historical moment that they were written in. So I, I thought that was an important part of the process and we didn't have any problem agreeing. 
working on that. I just wonder about what role trust plays. So, Nina, first, if you could talk a little bit about your trust. Trust. I definitely trusted Paul. Hmm and trusted our ability to work together because that was really how we got together. So for me, this 38-year journey, we are back to where we started because when we first met, we wrote a play together. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and we did a a TV program together at the very station where your husband, Fred, worked, and maybe he was even on the crew that filmed it. Oh, he was. (laughs) Imagine that. So uh, it, it was just leaning back into to that trust that yes yes Paul could enter in my artistic life and it was all going to be okay it was going to be safe and in terms of this whole process of publishing I just have to say that this pen award the Josephine Miles award for excellence in literature increased the amount of trust I have in the process that that doing what I've been doing is actually okay it's a path forward Well, Valerie and Paul, I want to thank you both. You've been fabulous guests. I've enjoyed this so much. I hope the listeners have too. And I want to thank you both for your participation. This has been Nina Serrano for Open Book, the Poet to Poet series. Thanks for listening. Justice Center of Sonoma County, PJC, will celebrate its 30th anniversary at an awards ceremony and fundraiser November 8th at the Sebastopol Community Center, located at 390 Morris Street. This annual event is a major source of funding for the PJC, as well as an opportunity to honor individuals and organizations that have made a significant contribution to peace and justice efforts. Doors open at 5 p.m. and admission includes food provided by local restaurants and caterers and music by Solid Air. This is a benefit for the Peace and Justice Center of Sonoma County. For more information, please call 707-575-8902. Again, that number is 707-575-8902. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB. FM in Berkeley and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and also online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned.